We're going to have a little bit of a shorter message this morning, um, a lot of a shorter message this morning. Let's see, it's, it's 10.13, church start. Okay, so I have 15 minutes. I have 15 minutes, maybe, maybe 20. Can I have 20, guys? Can I do that? Okay, here we go. I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk fast. An hour. All right, you got it. Let's go somewhere in the middle. Let's go 20. Um, <laughs> so if you have a Bible, open it to Romans chapter 3. Oh, I should have gotten the clicker. Do you have the clicker? Hustine. Okay. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Romans chapter 3. We are in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. And we're going to read our passage, and then we're going to walk through it this morning. And I'll put it up on the screen for you if you don't have it. Paul says this in Romans three twenty-one, But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I'm, I'm not sure if there are any two better words in all of Scripture than the two words that begin the passage that we're in this morning. Because we have been hearing a lot about how bad we are, it seems. Uh, it seems like the last uh, several uh, you know, weeks and maybe even months as we've been in Romans Um, we've been focusing so much on the guilt that people bring and the way that we don't seem to measure up. No matter who you are, we come to the turning point uh, with these two words, which are two words that mean very good things are going to follow. And those two words are, but now. This is the beginning of the good news of the gospel. Because while it is true that we are dead in sin... Uh, because of how good our God is, the story continues and goes on. And so Paul begins this passage, this portion, with these two simple words, but now. And what follows gives us a, paints us a picture of something that is incredibly important that we've come to again and again in Romans, and it is this, identity. Identity, who you really are who I really am, and more important than anything else, who God really is. 
When we look at God's word, it tells us things about God. It tells us things about ourselves. We're really good at seeing the things about ourselves, unless they're bad things, because we like things about ourselves that are good. And we tend to need a little bit more work put in to see what the Bible's telling us about God, because he's the real hero of the story. But... What this passage tells us specifically is that very thing. It tells us who we are and why that matters and who God is in all of this and why that matters so much. And I want to just really briefly look at that as we walk through this today. The first thing that it tells us, I want to start with who we are and then I want to talk about who God is. Not because we are more important than him, but because it helps understand the flow of why all of this happens the way it is. The first is this, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Probably the verse in the middle of this passage that you were like, hey, I've heard that one before, right? Part of Romans Road, part of like those common verses that we use to think about communicating the gospel. We are, and boy have we covered this up till now, guilty. That is who we are. Our identity is a people who are fallen. Not just some of us, but all of us. You know, it's been so disorienting, I think, the beginning of this this, uh, study in Romans because most people in church start out with this idea uh, that this is the place that you go to be a better person. And you may be like, oh, no, that's wrong. But most people in church, in the building, start out kind of with this goal. Some, some of us even have brought our children, our families to church as, as we're starting to shape other people's minds and lives, thinking, I want them to be good. I want them to know what is right and wrong. Where do I go for that? Maybe I go to church. That's where I learn that thing. And so church is a place you go to learn how to be better and to do better. And that's what the world needs, is it needs more people who do that better no better. I grew up believing that because my family and I were in church, because we worked pretty hard to be the way they say to be at church, that we were on the right track. So it's pretty disappointing, and it's kind of confusing when we have these sermons like the last couple of weeks, where it seems like what Paul's laying down here at the beginning of Romans is this. You are, you religious people, he says, you, you Jews, the people who are in the, the building talking about God, you're no more righteous than the people outside the building. He's saying that people are guilty. Whether you are guilty because of your rebellion and your apathy towards God, those outside the walls, or whether you are guilty because of your good works and your good effort. But in your efforts to be good, to be right, to show God that you are better now, perhaps. In your effort to do that, you are condemned. You are guilty. Any law that you choose to live by, Romans tells us up till this point, condemns you. Even if you make up your own law, guess what? You're going to break the rules. And if you follow the law of Scripture, which is the best thing because it is a guide that shows us what is truly good and what God truly cares for, you'll break that law too. All of us are guilty. We are condemned. And the result of it is that even though some, might, some sin more than others, even though some sins have more uh, weight than other sins, all of us are equally dead. If we were all given the task of swimming across the ocean, there are some of us who would make it about 15 feet and then die. 
And there are others who would make it 100 feet and then really start to struggle and then drown. And there are some, and we know who they are, um, who could swim for miles. And it would be an incredibly impressive feat, wouldn't it? Those who get in the water and have their own goggles and have their own cap and have their own streamlined bathing suit and maybe even you find you can have some flippers, that's fine. And they are going to go and go and go, and it will be impressive, and it will be amazing. And guess what? They will drown. And in the end, that's how everybody feels about them. Yeah, they'll drown too, so go have fun doing that with your outfit, right? Dead is dead, right? And sin leads to death. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't get caught up so much and focused on how if you constantly can look at other people, you'll see how much more dead they are, or how much more sin there is, or how much more bad it is, or how much more it's destroying the world. No, no, no. Paul says, what matters, believe me, is where you stand with God, your identity, who you are, and who you are is somebody who is guilty, he says. We read this here in the beginning of this passage. But he goes on, and he says, and here's the good news, you are justified. He says, we are justified. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Justification is a legal term. It is a person who is on trial for a crime and has been found innocent by the judge. You are, we are justified because why? He goes on to say the sacrifice that Jesus has made, we are justified, which means you are innocent of all charges. You are not one who has to live as condemned. You do not have to pay the price for what your sin causes and what it does. You are, we are justified because of what Jesus has done. But what else it tells us is that we are redeemed. You see, what Paul's doing here is he's using a bunch of different analogies to paint the most colorful, vivid picture he can of exactly where we stand because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And where we stand is as a people who are, let's go courtroom analogy. You're innocent instead of guilty. Let's go redeemed analogy. We all got gift cards for Christmas, right? Nothing better than walking in, buying something, throwing down the gift card, bam, Someone else took care of it for me, right? Redeemed. There it is. The price has been paid. Because, you see, uh, we are not only justified, but uh, we are actually justified because someone has paid the price for those sins. Someone has done something because of what happened, and it is the work of Jesus. So we are a people who are redeemed. Justified speaks to, in many ways, we think of it as speaking to the, the sins that have happened up till now. In a lot of ways, right? Like, like it talks about this in the passage, uh, covering over sins and things that have happened, in f- knowing, knowing ahead of time what would happen, right? Uh, so you're justified from everything that comes up till now. You're redeemed and you're a changed and different person, which affects the way that you live moving forward and the things that come after. We are guilty, but we are justified and we are redeemed. This is truly good news. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is who we are in our identity. And to be honest, it's so hard for us to accept and admit and own up to the beginning of this because we just don't see the significance of the end of this. 
It is hard for us to admit that we are all dead in sin because we lack the ability to really understand what it means to be justified and how glorious it is that we are also redeemed in Christ, which is why but now means we get to shift, which is very exciting as a church, to talk over these next weeks and months about, about exactly what it means for us to be justified, redeemed, and what had to happen for that to take place and to happen. But even more important than Romans telling us who we are, Romans tells us who God is. It tells us about God. And it says this, that He is the justifier. So, so the reason uh, that the person in the courtroom is being in, made innocent of all charges is because the judge is declaring it that way. So he's the judge that says it. Now, here's the important part. If you knew that someone was guilty of a crime and you knew that they went to court and you knew that the judge decided to declare them innocent, you would not think that was a good judge, right? Right? You would say, maybe if you're with their family member, but you would say, the problem in this situation, the problem in this scenario is that that's a judge who's no good. They're using their abilities, their, their position, their power and authority to uh, break the rules. And ultimately, this system is going to break down if that's how it continues to be. This is why when people ask again and again, but why can't God just forgive why, for no, with no price being paid, why can't God just forget? Why can't God just, he's big enough, love us out of this problem, God, without any cost having to come to anyone like Jesus himself. That would be the equivalent of the justifier, the judge, being a very, very bad judge. And God is not a bad judge. And so not only is he a justifier, but he is just. And he says that here. We read that in our passage. He is both justifier and just. And that's why things happen the way they do. He is just because he, in doing this, fulfills the very law that he brings. God doesn't do away with the law. He doesn't do away with what it means to be good. Which means we walk away from this still valuing and upholding what is good as much as we should have been before. He is justifier, he is just, and perhaps greatest of all, he is gracious. It says that this is a, a gift that is given to us. This is, this is given to us a people who do not deserve it. This isn't an exchange of work and reward, which is how religion gets it wrong every time. Right? It's so easy to get used to, to justify or unjust and these things about who we are, but then to believe wrongly uh, that it's not because of God's graciousness that he just gives us this thing that we don't deserve, but it is perhaps, you know, kind of an agreement, you know? Like, like I got it halfway, and then he meets me there. You know, he lowered the standard. He made the price a little bit less. He made it more attainable for me than it would have been otherwise, right? No, that's never the case. It is God's grace, his abundant grace, that makes it even possible for us to be justified, for us to be redeemed, because he is not only a justifier, not only just, but he is gracious. Faith, which this talks about, our passage again and again and again, faith in Jesus, faith in Christ, faith in what he has done. We're going to be talking a lot about what it means to actually have 
faith. What does that look like to have faith? But ultimately, it comes down to this. Faith is believing and trusting fully in what God has done. Faith is believing and trusting in these things that God has done. Faith is trusting and believing that he is this right here. And that is the hardest thing for us, and it is where sin ultimately began in the garden. That when the enemy uh, whispered the doubt, uh, said the doubt to to Eve, uh, that God was holding out on them. They began to believe things about God that were not true. And when we believe things about God that are not true, we lack faith in who he is and what he actually has done. So, because of who God is and because of what this means for us and because of the work of Jesus on the cross, there's one other thing that we are. We are unable to boast. We are people in a great situation who are unable to boast, says Paul. He says, what, what does this do with, with boasting? I love that he says that. He says, then what becomes of boasting? It's kind of like it's this thing, like, but what, what about boasting, right? We love boasting. We all love boasting. Don't tell us that we get to lose boasting now. What do we have to live for? I think it's important that he says this because Paul's a human being and he's lived a life and he knows, like, pride is an important thing to us. Things to be passionate about and to care about and to actually be excited about are good. And a lot of times it's easy to, to read these things that he said. And it does seem like he's kind of, you know, beaten down the church in Rome pretty hard. And us, as we read this, kind of saying like, you know, you're lousy. You've done this. You've done this. You've done this. Great. I really miss the days of boasting. When I got to be proud of myself and proud of what I did and proud of the group of people I was a part of and proud of all these great things that were happening, right? This, this, all, everything that Justin and Veronica shared for us, don't, don't they get to be proud of the stuff that they're doing? Doesn't, um, don't these pastors in Mexico get to be proud of the things that they're doing? Like, come on, what about boasting? It's like our national pastime. Do we really lose it? And the good news, says Paul, is, oh, boasting doesn't go away. Don't worry, you get to boast. But we boast not in ourselves. Not in what we have done, not what we have accomplished through the law. We boast in God himself. Amen. Amen. We boast in what God has done. We are a people who have pride and boasting in the fact that we serve a great God who is just and is justifier and is abundantly gracious for us. To boast in anything else is to take credit for something that we haven't truly done. We were talking about this, this, the ministry here in Mexico uh, on our church council meeting this last week, and um, Fran Hart, who, uh, you know, has got some wisdom, um, she, said, uh, she, she said, I watched this video again and again of Angelica, and I just said, how good is our God? How great is our God? And I was joking with Justin and Veronica afterwards, like, sorry, guys, sorry, Fran got it wrong. I know we were kind of hoping she'd be like, how great are these missionaries or how great are we or whatever, you know, but she's just always getting it wrong and saying stuff like, how great is God? No, that's exactly how we respond, right? 
we say, when we look at that, we say, how great is our God that it seems like our world's falling apart and everything's going crazy, and yet God is accomplishing these incredible things with these fallen people, with limited resources and training and all this stuff, because God can do anything. So who do we boast in? We boast in God. It's hard because it seems like Paul felt that the church needed its pride broken down a bit in order to be able to begin boasting in who they really need to be proud of and boast in. And I think the hard truth is as much as we'd like to think that isn't true of us, it probably is, right? It would do us some good to be a little more humble about um, how right we are, how sinless we are, how good this group even is when we all get together in our best of days, and to instead say what we boast in and what our pride is in is in our great, gracious, and glorious God and the things that he has accomplished and what he has done. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, there is nothing better for us to worship about and in light of and for than you, Lord. We come here every week and we worship you. This is ultimately a worship service, what we do here on Sundays, because all of the things that we do, whether it's talking about the incredible work that you're doing in the, all over this world, um, whether it's uh, seeing the incredible truth of your word and what it says to us about who we are and who you are, God, whether it is just the sense of community that we are also become so desperate for to finally have it, Lord, we do all of those things ultimately as we are here worshiping you, because you are the source of all things that are good. You are the source of our hope. You are the source of our faith. You are the source of our life, God. You are the just justifier. You are the one who has redeemed us, and we, if we simply believe and trust in who you say you are and what you have done, if we let go of trying to do it ourselves and prove things ourselves to have pride in ourselves and put faith in you and what you've done and what Christ has done, we can have eternal life, Lord. If we trust that you are working in places outside of our own country even, then we can be a part of that. We can participate in it with you, Lord. God, we are so grateful for you. And as we worship you now, we just reflect on that. We give praise to you for that, God. We praise you for you above all else. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.